Section 5 of the American Bee Journal, Volume 6, Number 4, October 1870. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Francesc Nello. The American Bee Journal, Volume 6, Number 4, October 1870, by Various. Comments on Quirist Number 7. On page 83, Volume 5, of your most valuable journal, Quirist seems to be at variance with our position in an article on page 55 of the same volume, where we assumed, as we yet maintain, that the first and highest law of nature in insects is self-preservation in caring for offspring, etc. The honeybee seems to be endowed with this instinct for the purpose of preserving the brood in the hive, Quirist asks. Now, is this statement correct? If the preservation of offspring is the strongest instinct that governs the honeybee, then why does she remove unsealed larvae from the cells to make room for a rich honey harvest? Mr. Otis of Wisconsin claims that the strongest instinct of the working bee is the love of storing honey. So it seems the position assumed by Mr. C is at variance with that of Mr. Otis, and one or the other must of necessity be wrong. As to being at variance with some eminent biologist, we have not a doubt that it is so. But you know, Mr. Editor, great men will differ. I deny emphatically that the workers will destroy the unsealed larvae for the purpose of storing honey. I have never seen any evidence of it among my bees, and should be pleased if some correspondent, if he thinks such is the case, would take the affirmative and give the evidence. To satisfy himself that the first and highest law of nature in the honeybee is self-preservation and the perpetuation of the species, Quirist need only have a fair open contest with a hive of bees. Why do they sting? For self-preservation and the defense or preservation of their colony, species. Injure a single bee in the hive, and the whole colony is instantly exasperated. Cause the honey to run out without injury to any of the bees, and the effect is somewhat different. Tear the comb containing sealed brood and the bees are at once enraged. And for what purpose? For self-preservation as a colony, and caring for the offspring. Why do they gather honey? For self-preservation and perpetuation of the species. Is there nothing in all this to demonstrate the fact that the first and highest law of nature in the honeybee is self-preservation and the perpetuation of the species? If this principle did not pervade the universe, everything would be chaos and confusion. It enters into and becomes the fundamental principle upon which the human family, the animal creation, and the vegetable kingdom have their existence. What causes the mother to care for her infant? It can be nothing less than this. If Quirist were hemmed in some corner by an assassin who sought to take his life, and he had power to save himself by killing his antagonist, would he not do it? 
What causes the animal to care for its young, as the cow for her calf, or the sow for her pigs, or the birds for their unfledged young? What causes the bee to sting when the hive is improperly treated, or the smallest bismire to bite when its tenement is disturbed? You may pass from the human family down through the entire animal creation to the smallest animalcule, and this, as it were, immutable principle pervades the whole series. Every once living thing that has become extinct as a species upon this earth failed from some unknown cause to comply with this grand fundamental principle, self-preservation and perpetuation of species. Quirist next says, Again, is it not a fact that the self-preservation of the matured bees is far stronger than the love of offspring? Witness, for instance, the destruction of drones during a dearth in the honey harvest. I do not know whether I understand him here. When I say honey harvest, I mean a time when there is plenty of honey to be found by the bees in flowers, honeydews, etc., Webster's unabridged gives the meaning of dearth as scarcity, want, need, famine. These two terms then stand in direct opposition to each other. A honey dearth within a honey harvest is an utter impossibility. It implies two distinct terms, not both existing at one time, as a man within a man or a horse within a horse. Language seems here to have betrayed Quirist over to my side of the argument. It is true that the workers do destroy the unhatched drone brood in time of dearth. But why do they do it? It is in strict obedience and conformity to this alleged first law of nature. Does Quirist not know why his bees are so slow about entering their honey boxes for the purpose of building combs? It is simply this grand fundamental principle that prompts. It is only because there are supernumerary bees in the hive that a portion of the workers leave the brood and enter the out-of-the-way receptacle. The temperature required to produce brood is 70 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit, and the amount of brood produced is governed by the number of mature bees in the hive. If the greatest instinct in workers be to gather honey, why do they not abandon the brood en masse, go into the honey boxes, and begin comb breeding when the grand flow of honey is to be found in the flowers? Because they would thereby doom the colony to inevitable destruction. Why do not bees enter honey boxes of their own accord, without wanting to be coaxed, as is generally the case, by placing therein small pieces of empty comb? because their numbers will not permit them to leave the brood. And the same law of instinct steps in and tells them that the brooding department must be run, whether combs are built and honey collected or not. Why do they not build combs as readily in the honey boxes above the combs containing brood, as they will in an open space below? Because they can thus produce the required temperature of 70 to 80 degrees, and the heat generated below will ascend through the brood combs and bring about the same temperature above also, among the brood, thus accomplishing a double purpose, by virtue of the natural tendency of heat to ascend. Quirist says, 
Mr. C has much to say about brood chilling. This is true, and I have still more to say about it. It is this. It is brood just hatched, or not more than four days old, that is so easily chilled. This brood is very hard to see in the cells, and beekeepers are not looking for it to be chilled. But when it becomes so and is lost, without having been seen in that state by the inattentive observer, its destruction is not the less attributable to that cause. Quirist says where he lives, Sealed brood is not very likely to become chilled during June and July, the swarming months, and but few bees are necessary to keep it at the proper temperature to mature. We do not know where Quirist lives, but we do know that in Iowa, in the months of July and August, on replacing our frames after handling them for some time, when the temperature was rather low for those months, we have frequently designated the place in the combs where young brood existed by piercing the combs in a circle around it with short stems of timothy grass and left them there for a day or two that I might be sure to find the exact place and cells again, and, in many cases, on re-examination, I found no brood in those cells. I have repeatedly made swarms in the Langstroth hive, and afterwards found that the brood, in what I call the first stage, was gone. J. W. C. Monroe, Iowa End of section 5